Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to the book of John. If you need a Bible, feel free to grab one at the welcome table in the back and keep it for your very own if you can use it. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning. This is our second week now in our Christmas series, and it's a Christmas series from the Gospel of John that I'm entitling, I Am, the words of Jesus when he says, I Am. Am, but it is particularly relevant as we come to Christmas time. Because at Christmas time, we celebrate one thing we celebrate that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, came down to earth to save us. That Jesus, who is God, who is the great I Am, has come for us. And so last week, we kicked it off looking at the first of Jesus' seven. I am statements. And last week we saw that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he literally said in John chapter 6, no one who eats of me as the bread will ever go hungry. No one who ever drinks from me will ever be thirsty. And now today, his second statement that we look at in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. So we're going to begin in verse 12 of chapter 8 this morning, and we're going to read all the way through verse 20 to get us started. Hear now the word of the Lord. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, they said to Jesus, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's take a moment and let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that Jesus has come and that he is indeed the light of the world. Father, I pray for all those who are walking in darkness, or Lord, just, just those who have felt like they have trudged through dark times lately, Father, that you might encourage us with your perfect word this morning. Would you draw us to the heart of Jesus? We thank you that his promises are true. We thank you that his goodness and his salvation and his light are real. And so draw us to you this morning, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your Son, in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three simple applications for us this morning as we walk through this passage. The first, very obviously, right up front, Jesus says about himself, I am the light of the world. And we cannot miss this profound reality that impacts every part of our life. Listen to what he says. He gives a promise and then he gives the reality that flows out of it to us. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me 
will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You think about there are many things that we do during Christmas, and I wonder if, if we actually know why we do some of those Christmas traditions. They're all good and well, but it's important to go, well, why am I doing that? And what is it that I'm actually saying with the things that I do at Christmas? One of the things that we love to do, I love to do, is put up Christmas lights inside, outside. We were driving around Lockmar neighborhood last night looking at all the Christmas lights. Love the Christmas lights. We bring trees indoors, which if you just came across that for the first time, you might think, well, that's odd to cut down a tree and bring it into your home. And then we cover it with lights. And then we put a star on top of that tree. We love things. Even in Florida, we can understand the value and the beauty of a nice warm fire inside or out on a cold night that brings light and warmth. We can enjoy uh, looking up at the stars at night, particularly when the stars are really bright and the sky is really dark. We enjoy seeing the power of that light. On the flip side, when, when we are in the dark, Young and old, there is a discomfort that comes, right? There is a a very real sense of feeling unsafe in the darkness. Why? Well, because light very much in every sense means hope. Light means life. In fact, life is impossible without light. Light means protection in, in so many different ways. I think it's important, though, that as we begin with Jesus' very simple but profound statement to understand what did Jesus have in mind, what were the images that He had in mind when He made this very powerful statement to the people of His time who were listening. And I want to give you very three, three very simple um, images, ones that we know that Jesus had in mind when He makes this statement to us, I am the light of the world. First, he is talking about, and he is in a moment where there are torches of light in the temple. We know from verse 20 at the end of the passage that I just read, we're told specifically, where was Jesus? Well, he was in the temple, and specifically he was in the treasury, which was an outer court of the temple. This is where Jesus' declaration is, and this is where the Pharisees will immediately confront and attack him. Now, because this treasury or outer court is on the outside, it was one of the busiest, if not the most active parts of the entire temple area. And this treasury, we are told, had 13 different literal treasure chests in them that were being filled as people were coming to worship and to bring their offerings to God. These treasure chests were full. But more importantly, in that scene, there were four huge torches of light. We're told uh, from various historical accounts that more than likely that these, um, these lights were very tall and they were very bright, so much so that they didn't just fill the temple with light, they filled much of the city of Jerusalem that surrounded it with light. So this is very much Israel's, Israel's version of, if you've ever gone to the Disney Castle fireworks show, um, that is this for them particularly because these torches were only lit once a year. And the moment that Jesus chooses to share his news is the moment when these torches were being lit. In John chapter 7, they have just finished what is called the Festival of Booths, and it was in that moment of celebration that they would light these torches. And so when the treasury is packed and people have come to worship and to be encouraged by the light in the temple, that is the moment that Jesus chooses to show up and say, I am the light of the world. 
But why were they even celebrating? What is the festival of booths? Well, the second image that we have here is the pillar of fire in the desert. If you remember from in the Old Testament, in Israel's history previously, the reason they are celebrating the festival of booths is because in the Old Testament, God himself manifested himself as a pillar or cloud of fire at night and a pillar or cloud of smoke during the day that protected and led God's people. God's power was in that blazing fire. And as you recall, it separated the Egyptian armies that wanted to kill Israel from Israel and kept them safe and allowed them time to cross the Red Sea. God's presence was in that light that literally guided them, that told them where to go through a wilderness or desert until they reached the promised land. So Jesus here is saying, I am the pillar of fire. I am that cloud of smoke that led Israel. That is me. It's referred to in Old and New Testament as the Shekinah glory. And Jesus is saying, I am He. I am God's manifest presence here on earth. So follower of God, follower of Jesus, if you have felt for any reason, this year in particular or throughout your life, I feel unsafe. Or because of the circumstances, I feel unsettled. I'm not sure what I should do next. Jesus is saying to us this morning, just as he said to them, I am the light. I am God's bright power of protection for you. It is a promise. I am God's presence. I will be with you and you will never be alone. I am the light of God and I will lead you through the wilderness, through the desert of whatever life looks like for you right now, it's a promise. And it's manifested in the reality that Jesus is God. I am God, he is saying over and over again. The third and final image really is is one that's even bigger than just this story because the third image is the sun that lights the entire world. Do you know that Three verses from the, entire, from the end of the entire Old Testament. This is Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. Right at the very end, it says this, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This prophetic moment from Malachi that when they heard it, they may have had a sense that God was promising to be with them, but they could not have imagined how fully and how specifically that promise would come to bear because 400 years of darkness would follow in which the prophets stopped speaking, God stopped speaking, the Old Testament had ended until the moment that we just saw, until in the Gospels, Jesus arrives as a baby. And in Luke chapter 1, beginning the story of the birth of Jesus, it says in verse 78, by the mercy of God, the sunrise shall visit us to give light to those who sit in darkness and who sit in death and to bring peace. This is the whole story from beginning to end of the scripture. One story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If we remember the very beginning of the entire Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, God said, let there be light. Let there be light, God says at the very beginning. And, and what happened at the second half of that verse? There was light. God said it and he made it. That's that moment of creation and it was perfect. 
And then in Genesis chapter 3, we messed it up, didn't we? Adam and Eve, representing all of humanity, they sin, and it's called the fall. They fell from the perfection that they were enjoying, and because of their sin that was their fault and ours corporately, the world fell into darkness. Creation, fall. But redemption has now come. Jesus has arrived, and we know from the rest of the New Testament that Jesus will not only be born in humble circumstances, God in the flesh, He will live the perfect life, no sin. He will go to the cross to die, to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours, for the whole world, for anyone who will believe and accept that free gift. But death won't win. He will rise from the dead three days later, and He reigns today in heaven, creation, fall, redemption. But now, coming back to the Son, what is restoration look like? What does heaven ultimately look like? Well, Revelation talks a lot about the new city. That's why we're named New City Church, because there's a promise of a new city. The new Jerusalem, Revelation says, coming down out of heaven, that heaven has come down. Listen to the end of the Bible. Revelation 21, 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. You get that? In heaven, we don't need even the sun anymore because Jesus Christ will be the light for every single person. We're talking spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every possible way that we can imagine light, and in many that I don't think we can even understand with our finite minds just yet. There will be no sun because we will be with Jesus. That's restoration. That is the story. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that's what he means. And yet, there are people, even in that moment, who are listening to this, who reject him. Number two. Number two. Jesus says to those who reject him, and be clear, this is rejection. My testimony is true. He humbly responds to what they say. He says, my testimony is true. Let's read again this dialogue that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees. This is verses 13 through 19. Listen to what the Pharisees say and listen to how Jesus responds. The Pharisees said to him, Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So the Pharisees have this claim, and they say to Jesus, you're talking about yourself, therefore your testimony is not true. You notice they aren't even actually willing to take up the conversation that's being had. Jesus is talking about light and about darkness and is claiming once again to be God, 
but they don't actually want to have that conversation. What they want to do is push a legal technicality so as to discredit Jesus so they don't have to face what he's saying. The Pharisees' rejection of Jesus and the world's rejection of Jesus is willful ignorance and it is willful rejection of the truth. Jesus has spoken the truth. He will continue to speak the truth. He will continue to perform miracles of multitudes of different types as proofs, as demonstrations, as signs, he says, of who he is, and they will not see. Jesus will raise the dead to life. Jesus himself will be raised from the dead. Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecy from beginning to end, and he has declared that he is God, the great I am. But our blindness to the light does not mean that the light is not there. Just because they are not willing to see does not mean that it is not true. If you have a two-year-old like me, you've had this experience, and humanity in a sense is that two-year-old. I'm not here. You can't see me. I'm not here. Clean up your room. I'm not here. It's the same heart of rejection that says, I don't want you, at least not right now. Listen to how Romans paints this picture very clearly and states for us what is going on here with the Pharisees. Not everybody, but with the Pharisees. Verse 19 of Romans chapter 1, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since when? Since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the reality. When Jesus says, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore, I am the light He's speaking truth and light into that reality that all of humanity finds itself in until the grace of Jesus reaches you. But notice that Jesus doesn't shoo them away. Jesus is patient. Jesus is willing. He knows the hardness of their hearts, and yet he speaks with them, and he is willing to engage even their technical and legal conversation. And so he gives them, again, three very simple responses. First of all, he says, my knowledge is superior. See, so Jesus responds by pointing out that the only a person with a superior source of knowledge can qualify and that he alone possesses such a knowledge. If this were simply a matter of human experience, then they may have a point. But as far as knowing God is concerned, only God himself can ultimately speak with authority. He points this out to them. But then he says, my testimony is impartial unlike yours. There is a sense of justice to be had here. Jesus judges according to the truth. The Pharisees do not. Jesus works in complete unity with God the Father. The Pharisees do not. Humans testifying about other humans will inherently, even at our best, there will be a sense of partiality to it. But Jesus is impartial. Human beings, even at our best, I am, we are sinful. Jesus is sinless. 
And then finally, he says, I do have a witness. The witness is God. The witness is God the Father. Both the Father and the Son, two witnesses, declare that I am. What do we do with that? Trust. Trust. If you would say, I am a believer this morning, let me encourage you to trust Jesus that He is true. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust Jesus. Trust His Word. We don't get to pick and choose the parts that we like and then leave out the parts that we don't like. All of Jesus is trustworthy. He is true. But secondly, if He is true, then the immediate response that this passage and every other in Scripture calls us to is to receive Him as Savior and as Lord. Lord Jesus, my life, my career, my plans, my finances, my future, my family, it is yours. I make you Lord of my life because I keep trying to do it myself and it does not work. And Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner on my own. I make mistakes constantly. And before you, I deserve punishment. Forgive me. You notice at the very end of this passage, again in verse 20, it says at the end, it says that Jesus' hour had not yet come. What does that mean? Was talking about his death on the cross. And so what that specifically means is that Jesus dying on the cross was not a mistake. It was not a slip-up. It was not God's plan B or C. At no point did God the Father go, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. It is not simply a matter of, of bad people or mean Romans or mean Jews who went after Jesus. It is God's plan that he sent his one and only son in glory and in light to this earth to die and pay the penalty that I could never pay, and that three days later that he would rise again. And today, at this very moment, he is ruling and reigning in heaven, and one day, we don't know when, he will come back to take us home. Amen? That is the promise that we have to hold on to as Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so after Jesus talks with these Pharisees, who will ultimately continue to reject him and nail him to that cross, Third and finally, we come back to what Jesus is saying to those who will follow. Number three, Jesus says to his followers, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follower of Jesus, to not walk in darkness. What a powerful promise. I'm a Florida kid. I grew up in Florida, and so we, summer or winter, we get to enjoy a lot of sunlight, when I was in high school, I moved to Nebraska, and I was distraught to discover that when you go north, the days are a lot shorter in the wintertime. So it's 3.30, I'm getting out of school, and it's like dark and stuff. What is this? I did not understand. I also didn't know that you couldn't see the space shuttle launching from Nebraska. I thought everybody in the world could see it, because I'd always been here. Learning, growth, maturity, supposedly. So this is happening, and I'm talking with friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, if you keep going north, like if you go to the north end of Alaska, it's dark for almost two months straight during their winter. What? What are you saying? I'm from Florida. I need light, right? We all need light. 
The reality is, is there are massive physical effects on human beings, all of creation, if you don't have light. There are uh, incredibly impactful emotional and mental effects. If you don't have lights, light for extended periods of time, it hurts us. There's a reason that in wartime, they use solitary confinement in the darkness to torture somebody, to force them to tell them what they want to know. It is awful to walk in darkness. But listen to how Jesus paints darkness in John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It doesn't compute, does it? Why would you love darkness? The Bible says that without Christ, our hearts are so messed up that we love darkness, that we actually run to things that are harmful for us without the grace of God. And it breaks my heart. Every time I engage with anybody, believer or unbeliever, when I see them, and certainly I do it in my own life every day as well, but as I see people who will go to things of darkness hoping for light, and it inevitably will not work, and you see that love of destructive things, but Jesus says... You will no longer walk in darkness if you have me, the light of the world. He says you will have the light of life. So go back to Nebraska. I'm a teenager. Amazing things happen, obviously, in my teenage life. I was learning how to drive. I was 16. This is right about the time that I became a believer. My parents had always had a car that I drove while I was learning that had this newfangled invention, amazing thing called daytime running lights. Powerful stuff. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, I bought a new car, an old car, for myself when I got my license, a 1989 Ford Temple. Beautiful thing hunk of junk. Among other things, it did not have daytime running lights because it was too old. I got pulled over by the police each of the first two nights of me owning my new old car because I was driving around at night with my lights off because I didn't know what to do with the light because I didn't appreciate what my parents had essentially always given me, which was these daytime running lights. I had never actually had to turn on the lights. I'd never actually had to engage with the light. I didn't appreciate it. I didn't use them. I benefited from what my parents, those around me, had in terms of the light, but I had never possessed it myself. And now here I am growing up. I'm on my own, and I had no idea what to do with the light. I think it's exactly the same for us spiritually when it comes to faith, when it comes to relationship with Jesus. Just because the people around you in your family know Jesus and know the light does not mean that you yourself know Jesus and know the light. It is not the same thing. And my prayer for all of our children growing up is that as we teach them that they would experience for themselves and come to understand that Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior. It's not just something for mom and dad. But I want to say something to the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90-year-olds as well. It is not simply a matter of, well, I came from a Christian family or I was raised in a Christian home or I know other people that are Christians or I try to do a lot of good things 
as daytime running lights that you've never really understood. Use, receive, have the light by asking Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. And if you are a believer and it has become a distant thing for you, Jesus says to all of us, draw near to me once again. I am the light of the world. I haven't left. Come back to me. Particularly important at Christmas time. I know it's been a strange year, right? We're ending 2020. Nobody is going, yay, 2020. It's felt dark in a variety of different ways. Um, the Barna Group does studies all the time uh, about what's going on in life, particularly in the United States. Um, they released this last week another study that I'm going to read to you. They say, um, the only group of people in America this year reporting that their mental health is better in 2020 are those who attend weekly worship services. Both genders, all political affiliations, all income levels, all races report being worse this year, save for one consistent detail. Do you go to church? And I'm not saying it's about the building. I'm not saying it's about checking boxes. I'm saying knowing and experiencing Jesus I'm not commenting on whether you come in person or you join in the live stream. I'm talking about being a part of the body of Jesus Christ, knowing him personally and engaging with other believers that there is something profoundly different this year as it has been a dark and a difficult time for everybody. It's just an interesting thing to think about. Jesus was born at a time when the world was dark and a star, a bright star led people to Jesus. Bright angels of light led people to Jesus. The glory of Jesus brings light. Finally, I just want us to think about this. Having light is not only receiving Jesus and knowing Him and experiencing the joy of knowing Him. To have the light is also to share the light, is to express the light. In fact, listen to the way that Jesus says this. It's almost as if he had a plan in what he was going to say, and he does. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, talking to believers, what does he say? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. Philippians 2.15 says, shine like stars, shine like lights in the universe in a crooked generation. We're not the light. Jesus is the light. And to have the light is to have Jesus. There is no light apart from relationship with Jesus. But to have the light is so powerful that Jesus comes and says, I am the light of the world. And when you have received that, he then says to you, you are the light of the world. Not that you'll be perfect. Jesus has already accomplished that. But that you are so filled with his joy that you cannot help but share it and live it out in the words that you say and the life that you choose to live by his grace. I'm, again, so profoundly thankful for all of you who gave time and energy and money to help 
show people the love of Jesus in one of a many, many of practical ways. This is not the only way, but this is a way, and it's an opportunity, especially as we've already said, this year and at Christmas time. Just thinking about money, everybody's favorite topic though, for a second, and thinking about generosity. I am so incredibly thankful for your guys, the church, New City Church specifically, and your generosity, particularly as it has been poured out this year and we have been able in our first year as a church to give, to send out the light in very practical ways. And yes, I'm talking about money specifically in the form of mercy, people who need help, and in the form of missions, sending others so that they might also share the light. And here it is the end of the year. I just want to tell you for a second, just so everybody knows, ways that the money that you give to the Lord is going out the doors, very literally, to shine the light of Jesus. We are actively supporting and giving generously as a church to places like Good News Prison Ministry that shares the gospel in Brevard County Jail, to the Luis Palau Space Coast City Fest that will be a county-wide festival in March to share the gospel of Jesus to Reformed University Fellowship at UCF, which shares the gospel with college students at UCF just down the street, to the Ethnos Fund. When we couldn't or we didn't need to pay rent here because we weren't meeting in person, we sent our rent check to other PCA churches, specifically minority churches in our denomination who were struggling financially because of COVID. We sent the money to them to help them do the work that they are doing where they are. We send money to pregnancy resources here locally in Melbourne to help educate new parents and teach them the realities of adoption and parenting as the biblical choices in pregnancy. We have given to families inside of our church and outside of our church to help them pay for food, pay for a cell phone bill, to pay for Christian counseling when they needed that sort of help and support, to pay medical bills when they've needed that sort of support. And specifically, we have helped give thousands of dollars to help our international missions partner, whose names I can't even say while we're on camera, but we have been able to send two massive truckloads, I'm talking semi-truckloads full of rice, to this country to help feed them as they are starving, literally, in the midst of uh, the pandemic. And as the world goes, the pandemic has so many other complications and ways that it afflicts people, and we've been able to share the light in that place with believers whose goal is to share the light. And sometimes sharing the light is sharing rice. Thank you for being a part of giving in those ways, of being generous and of sharing the light, right? We know that it's not just money. We know that sharing the gospel is life on life. It's hospitality. It's talking with people, building a relationship and getting to know them and telling them your story about what Jesus has done in your life and helping them know what Jesus can do in their life. The Bible says that the Father bears witness about the Son, we get to bear witness as well about the sun. We're not the sun, we're the moon, right? We reflect the brightness of the sun. If you have a Christmas light and it's in the winter up north where there's snow, that Christmas light will, will melt all of the cold snow around it and bring light and will bring warmth. The Christian life is very much like a hot fire, Inside or outside, it brings light and it brings warmth to everything and everyone around us. We have the light because Jesus is the light of the world. Let's share the light, amen?
Let's pray together.